0: A kiss on the hand Maybe quite continental But diamonds are a girl's best friend Give her a diamond It's forever Diamonds, diamonds And more diamonds More profound than words Diamonds Diamonds are forever They are all I need to please me
1: Oh hubba hubba, diamonds are for fraudsters part two, let's go! To Frosters, the show where we try to prove that everyone is bad or at least worse than us. I'm Cena Gasanovi at Cena now on all social media at Justin underscore Williams underscore Comedy. Justin Williams is here and Ariel Liati at Ariel Liati on the socials. We're all here. We're all back. We all have Cecil (laughs) Foot.
2: Every last one of us. No, don't
1: start it again. again.
3: promised myself I wouldn't even do a callback about it.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> and we're all going back to Jared.
0: If you've ever wanted to design your own ring, there's only one place to go. That's
2: Jared. Welcome back to part two of our two-part series on Diamond Fraudsters. Last week, we told you the story of the badass of Bling, Cecil Rhodes. This week, we dive into the giant of gems, the Oppenheimers. The Oppenheimer's diamond journey begins in 1902, the same year that saw Cecil Rhodes finally go to hell. A 22-year-old man named Ernest Oppenheimer was promoted to serve as the Kimberley Township's representative for a London-based diamond broker.
1: Oh, Jesus, 22 years old. I was I was still teaching tennis lessons to five-year-olds when I was 22. <laughs> what
2: was I doing at 22? T- at 22, I was managing a soap store. Ooh, what kind of soaps? Um, do you, can I talk about Foot soaps. <laughs> Foot Sorry. soaps, yes. Actually, yes. <laughs> it was a Lush Cosmetics with the bath bombs and stuff. Love Lush. That's a cult. We should talk about that on this show.
1: <laughs> I, that's a cult I would be happy to be a part of. A smell good cult? That's I did all. Most good. of the cults don't smell good. That's true. Goop, Most cause... of them
2: have Cecil Sef- Sef- Foot, yeah.
1: Hate. <laughs> hey, hey. When I was twenty-two.
3: I was losing my virginity in college uh, after a Nelly concert. That's oh so late, God. Justin. That's so, mm. I was a late bloomer. <laughs> hey, must be the money.
2: It <laughs> was the powers of Nelly.
3: Hey, and here's how you know uh, that I really got game. I didn't even go to that Nelly concert. Ooh, He oh! waited.
2: He waited out back. <laughs> what? Why are you winking? Are you having a stroke? Did you go? Be- wait. You so waking? you lost your virginity before the concert or after the concert?
3: Hey, let me tell you something. Sometimes <laughs> you're at the fridge in the dorm at the right time.
2: <laughs> oh, <God>. disgusting. <laughs> Guys, this is serious. Because six years later, in 1908, he was elected to the city council and gives birth to his first son, Nicky. Which just makes me think of little Nicky. I don't know why. Yeah, that's
1: not the same right? thing.
2: Demonic. <laughs> Yeah. Um, four years after that, his house was stoned among growing anti-German sentiment in Kimberley, eventually forcing Oppenheimer to move to Johannesburg, where his family held mining interests.
3: Anti-German sentiment is this thing that very good. The Germans did a good job of assimilating because there were all these Germans. And then uh, like once World War One and World War II happened, they're just like they, they really got rid of all the German stuff. Mm. Like uh, German one day a year. It's just like Oktoberfest and that's it.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, you can't be waving that German flag.
2: No, for like feels weird.
1: Seventy years, it was I'm like a- not okay. We got
3: to get the Germans to come back. All you Millers, you're Mueller's again. Stop anglicizing <laughs> yeah. your name. Come
1: back out. Listen, if a German was on the show, they'd be in the minority here. So according to power structures, we that's would true. be. Mm, mm-hmm. But they, power they can't
3: get mad because they're not German anymore. They're hiding. They're Millers now. They're not Mueller's.
1: Yeah, yeah, mm. that's right. But wait, what, can you tell me, Justin, why was it so easy for these Germans to, like, hide out and assimilate in Africa? No, it wasn't.
3: I think that's what you're finding out here. It's like there was levels of anti-German sentiment that still existed that by the time you get, like, uh, into, like, the second half of the 20th century, they're, like, going away. Because people, like, it's it's that anti-German prejudice was so pervasive that people actually had to kind of, like, change their identities or, like, move and do all this stuff. I see.
2: So in Johannesburg, he met an American man named W.L. Honold, who also owns some mines. So they teamed up and formed a company called the Anglo American Corporation of South Africa, celebrating both of their countries of origin. Anglo is English for anyone else still trying to figure out that puzzle. They found a backer in JP Morgan, thanks in part to the efforts of middleman and former US President Herbert Hoover.
1: Justin. Was Herbert Hoover a good president? I know nothing about Herbert Hoover.
2: Me neither.
3: Um, he I mean, he doesn't get like he doesn't come across well because like the economy collapses. And then like the thing about Hoovervilles and stuff like that. So oh, but I, don't, right. I don't I don't I don't yeah, great. I don't I don't know enough of, in detail to whether he just gets blamed for like all the things that are going. He doesn't go down as a good great president, but sometimes people that get blamed for a lot of stuff actually might be decent presidents, you know.
2: The King of England liked Ernest's growing power a lot. And in 1921, at the age of 41, Oppenheimer was knighted. Damn. I know. Then in 1924, he was elected to the South African Parliament as a representative for Kimberley, the town that ran him out on a rail. And in 1926, he is elected to the De Beers board after Anglo-America becomes the single largest shareholder. Incredible. Incredible. In a couple of years, he would stand alone as the chairman of De Beers and the diamond trade as a whole and continue to build the De Beers global monopoly of the diamond industry. He didn't need to start a war to take over the company. Anglo-American had simply drunk De Beers milkshake.
1: I drink Mm -hmm. your milkshake.
2: Sounds gross.
3: I want to be ran out of a town and then come back as its elective
1: representative. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Like, Could you imagine how scared that town would be? It's like,
1: yes, now it's time for retribution. (laughs) I think George Santos is doing that right now. He just just got elected elected first. Yeah, what a guy. (laughs) Hey, kids. It's me, Cena. I know history can be confusing, so I want to explain it simply. Anglo American is a company started by Ernest Oppenheimer, and De Beers is a company started by Cecil Rhodes. They are two separate companies, but through a series of complicated agreements, the two companies became all jumbly wumbly up together. These two companies have never formally merged. Anglo American acts kind of like a behind-the-scenes controlling arm of the business, and De Beers is the public-facing company. It's kind of like George W. Bush's presidency. Both are controlled by the Oppenheimer family, but the daddy company is really pulling the strings. Sometimes the heads of these two companies are the same person, but sometimes they are not. Transparency, kids, is reserved for diamonds. Not the diamond trade.
2: Oppenheimer's next moves were designed to gain control over more aspects of the industry. Before the 1930s were over, he had moved De Beers' diamond cutting operation to South Africa. He also started a company called the Diamond Corporation to control the sale of diamonds as well. He was just too successful for his own good. And in 1932, with too many rough gems flooding the market, Oppenheimer shut down the De Beers mines and pressured the other mines to follow suit. The value of diamonds climbed back the next year, only to be met with the Great Depression in 1934. Luckily, that same year, there was also a Great Succession as a new Oppenheimer enters the scene. Harry Oppenheimer, Ernest's 26-year-old son, joins the board.
1: Okay, so just for a second here, I just want to make sure we don't lose, because this is basically everything that is wrong with Oppenheimer and the De Beers situation here, is that when things change... They can just turn off their supply. It's like when Russia some years ago had like an economic problem and they just shut off the stock market or China has done that before. Mm. When you can control the levers of capitalism and everyone else suffers, that that's how you get on the show. Yeah, I mean that <laughs> is like – this is comp- – Complete market manipulation. This is how you, like, welcome to fraudsters. Here you are. This is where we (laughs) developed a series to you, is that you just completely fictionally stopped everything. All these people went into the Great Depression all of a sudden. And, like, if it wasn't for the Great Depression, the the price of diamonds would have spiked again. But luckily, I guess, in a way, everyone suffered in that time. And De Beers had a moment when the cost of diamonds had to go down. Right. Like, I think this is this is the this is where it all is at. this is like a great illustration of how awful these people are.
3: And just to let you know about the scale of the Great Depression, there's an old story from Oklahoma that I heard. There was a man that said, you know, it was, back in the day, it was great because a hamburger only cost a nickel. The problem with the Great Depression was, was who had a nickel? <laughs> <laughs>
2: After the Great Depression caused a near crash in the value of rough diamonds, De Beers established the diamond Trading Center, which would later become the central selling organization, the cartel that controls the diamond market. De Beers invents a system for selling diamonds through its new conglomerate, the four C's, cut, color, clarity, and carrot.
1: So, you know, what's. You know what's funny about, this just reminded me, like, the Diamond Trading Center. It's kind of like, all oh, right, everything's not going well. It's like when Zuckerberg was in college and he made that, like, rating system for girls because he couldn't find a girlfriend. And then that didn't work. And he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make Facebook. And so these guys <laughs> just made a bigger entity with more organization and made up these fucking metrics. Yeah, The four C's, cut, color, clarity, and carrot. It's, it's the co op from the wire. Yeah.
2: Oh but, wow. But, yeah. but
3: but yeah. But like but like you know, clothed in like uh, like legitimacy. A lot of ascots.
2: Yeah. yeah. A lot of ass too. Anyway, because <laughs>
3: because they're representatives of parliament rather than just being like proposition Joe, like some just right. some guy in, oh, like East Baltimore.
2: And that solidifies the fifth C as well cartel. De Beers is a full-on cartel, but it's diamonds, not drugs, you say? Well, let's pull out the old Oxford Dictionary. I thought this would be a good reference, considering the Rhodes Scholarship and all, you know? The Oxford Dictionary defines a cartel as an association of manufacturers or suppliers with the purpose of maintaining prices at a high level and restricting competition. Well, you know what? That sure sounds like the diamond industry.
1: And that's the co-op that Justin was just talking about. It's like this network effect that you're able to use.
2: Well, we use the word monopoly, but it's a lot harder of a concept to prove. For example, the existence of Amazon. But it's not hard to prove it's a cartel. And we mostly knew cartels as illegal drug operations now because no one has been more successful using the playbook of the diamond trade.
1: That's why like, I think it's important to like point out that the difference between a monopoly and a cartel. Because, like, a monopoly will just, like, vertically integrate up the supply chain and they'll just they'll own everything in, in one place. But I think the idea of a cartel is, like, listen, there's people all over, right? There's suppliers that aren't owned by us, but they're all listening to us. And they're all in agreement that we want to manipulate this market. So think of the oligarchs in other countries and stuff. They all kind of work in a cartel-like form. They're all independent of each other, but they're all in agreement to do something sinister. For Amazon, it's a monopoly, right? Uh, but you know whether that's legally a monopoly or not, no one will ever. You know, the Federal Trade Commission will probably never do anything about that. But the fact that it's you know in existence and the fact that we keep using it all the time and we love Amazon for some reason constantly, and we can't get away from it. It's just that's just makes it that much more palatable.
3: Yeah. OPEC, another example, great example of a cartel where you have oil producing countries that get together and agree on cutting the supply in order to get prices
2: back up and things like that. Depressing. Harry goes to the United (laughs) States to kickstart the De Beers advertising campaign, just in time for World War II to begin yeah i love it throughout (laughs) the war they close the mines their offices in britain are bombed by the germans and in 1945 when the world is celebrating the end of the war and life is getting back to normal the district court of the united states and the southern district of new york finalized a civil proceeding against de beers the court agreed that de beers was engaged in a conspiracy to restrain and monopolize u.s commerce with foreign nations in gem and industrial diamonds this was in violation of the Sermon Act and the Wilson Tariff Act. They were barred from doing business in the U.S. until they cleaned up their act. Not sure if they did, but their reputation was scarred. Time for a rebrand.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah, <laughs> This shit is crazy. Post World War II Zales ad. It's just like, you know, just a smoldering Europe. And it's like, have you had a hard last 30 years?
1: <laughs>
3: Do you need something to brighten up your day? Get her a diamond from De Beers. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, and De Beers. yeah, it's just like the rubble with whatever
2: like money you ride. have left over.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: You got a couple hundred thousand dollars, and you don't want to spend that on a house. Guess what, baby? We've got diamonds.
0: Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until that presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand.
2: In 1948, De Beers, under Harry's guidance, launches one of the most successful ad campaigns of the century, with the tagline, A Diamond is Forever. Also that year, the push to include diamonds in Hollywood movies begins. I thought the most successful ad campaign was the Bagel Bites campaign.
1: <laughs> oh, cool. bagels in the morning, bagels in the evening, bagels at supper time. Yeah. Or something.
2: If you need pizza on a bagel. On a bagel. You could eat pizza you could anytime. Eat pizza anytime. <laughs> Interesting it, how you know that still in the year of our Lord twenty twenty
1: three. I thought it was shake and bake.
2: Oh, Shake and I bake want is good. Chicken tonight. Chick, <laughs> chicken tonight. I thought it was Chili's baby back ribs.
1: <laughs> I baby back, baby back, baby, baby back, back,
2: baby back, baby back. Chili's baby back ribs, barbecue
1: sauce. <laughs> I've probably eaten ten thousand bagel bites.
2: I have not eaten that many chilies. Baby back ribs, but I do love the song.
1: No, yeah, no, you
3: know what the most. No, the most campaign is. <laughs>
1: That's true. Can't yeah, that stop is,
2: having Budweiser.
0: Was nostalgic. that Budweiser? Yep. Yeah.
2: Oh, see, I mean, no one.
1: Bud. Wise. Er. <laughs> now that we're all products of <laughs> advertising campaigns. <laughs>
2: Oh, the Diamond is Forever marketing campaign would become among the most successful of the 20th century, and the slogan is still used by the company today. The campaign would attempt to equate a diamond with love in a way that no other product could do successfully. A diamond wasn't only the ultimate symbol of love, but the fact that it lasted forever made it the ultimate symbol of marriage. And the bigger the diamond, the more love you had. It was a status symbol that not only portrayed a quantifiable symbol of wealth, but a quantifiable symbol of love. A later De Beers marketing move would put a number on love. Two months salary. How romantic.
1: I
3: love this. Do you remember the diamond that Kobe bought his wife after all that stuff happened?
2: The rest oh, of shit. Yeah. Huge. It was a nice one. I That's the quantifiable love that I need in my life.
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: he, yeah, he bought her. It was the Kimberly diamond it or something. It was the diamond, right? The yeah. diamond. It was like a queen's diamond or some shit. I'm willing to yeah.
2: forgive and forget whatever you got going on.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You've heard it here first.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe whatever you got to do outside, as long as you get me that diamond, I'm good.
1: <laughs> get the diamond as big as my fist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, this. this is like... This is my favorite part of this whole thing because there is the market manipulation part of it where they're just jockeying supply and demand. But this is the cultural fraud. This is how this kind of like got flagged to me, right, is that all of the stuff we believe and know, like when I was buying my wife an engagement ring and I asked like relatives or friends, like how much should I spend? Everyone, Justin, I don't know if you went through this as well, everyone would just say two months salary. Yeah And I remember even asking, like, "Where the fuck did this come from?" Where did I and I never looked it up, obviously, because I was just trying to get through the day. But they came from somewhere. It came from the NWAER agency, IR-A-Y-E-R. So Oppenheimer engaged this ad agency, and they were the ones that created this entire thing. Here's a quote from an internal memo uh, from NWAER. Um, by the way, I keep wanting to just make an NWA joke. Uh, here for the WCW. Mm, that's, fair. It's, that's fair. It's close. But uh, here's a little quote from an internal memo they had. We are dealing with a problem in mass psychology. We seek to strengthen the tradition of the diamond engagement ring to make it a psychological necessity capable of competing successfully at the retail level with utility goods and services. By the way, utility goods, things you need. They wanted to manipulate the masses because they were like, what we have is that people don't care about diamonds. Why? Because they shouldn't. It's post-World War II. <laughs> they shouldn't yeah. care about a fucking diamond. They need a sandwich. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what we need to do is tell them, you need to eat and you need to get a diamond. And here's my favorite part. It was actually two women that were responsible for making all of this happen. Dorothy Dignam, and Francis Garrity. The first step was to create the idea that a proposal, this is a quote, that, quote, a proposal is not a real proposal without a diamond. That right there is like, oh man, we're in trouble. <laughs> and the slogans are, what's two months' salary for something that'll last forever? And that's when they started the "The Diamond is Forever campaign. In 1947 and 1948. By the end of the century, in 1999, a diamond is forever became the slogan of the century by advertising age. And in Garrity's final interview, she said that between the Depression and World War II, diamonds were literally the last thing on people's minds. Americans thought that diamond engagement rings were, quote, just absolutely money down the drain. (laughs) Oh, my God. So – The whole country was in agreement, we don't want to prioritize this. The whole world, in fact. But Dorothy Dignam, she was the partner of Garrity and she was in charge of PR and product placement. She's the one that would call the movie studios – to get them to put more gems in movies. She lent out diamonds to movie stars. She was like the Jacob the jeweler for everybody, right? She gave the diamonds to uh, these people to wear the Academy Awards, film premieres, even the Kentucky Derby. Then she would get media outlets to photograph them and publish the images everywhere, all with this Oppenheimer money.
3: This actually like there's kind of a positive spin on this story, but not the whole diamond cartel part and all the human suffering. Is it the girl boss part? Yeah, actually. Yeah, it's like she's the she's the actual Don Draper. And like she's like she should be going down like Mad Men should be about her running like this ad agency. So it's like even Mad Men attempting to like deal with sexism actually kind of like whitewashes like this like woman. Yeah. I wonder I wonder if she got paid what a man gets paid. though. She
2: absolutely did not. She just ruined America. (laughs) But I get how women did it. Like we are better at psychological um, nonsense. Warfare. Yeah, warfare. (laughs) Um, And the fact that it's a long lasting slogan makes sense to me. A man couldn't do that.
1: Yeah, this shit is is crazy to me. And so I want to run through some of the ads that they had and some of like the, the Hollywood moments that were created from the Oppenheimer and the, the ad agency that they used, right? So I think we all remember this one from Marilyn Monroe.
0: But I prefer a man who lives and gives expensive joy a kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. A kiss may be grand, but it won't pay the rental on your own T- The diamond flash. on her neck is. Or help you at the oh. auto map. Men grow cold as girls. A wooga, giant- <laughs> <a-o-ga>. a wooga, a wooga, a wooga, not Yeah
2: yeah
1: Wait, okay. So this is Marilyn Monroe doing the diamonds. You know, diamonds are a girl's best friend. But notably, the di- she has two diamonds, one on each wrist and one around her neck. Fat they're all ones. the size of like my son's fist. I mean, yeah. these are huge. He may be bigger. Frankly, I think they're much bigger.
2: Oh, and uh, earrings as well.
3: Yeah, Queen Queen Elizabeth would be like, you need to tone
1: this down.
2: Yeah, just yeah. too gosh, she's a
1: hussy. But that was, th- <laughs> I mean, that already that just the just the idea. Who's the equivalent of Marilyn Monroe today, guys? Kim Kardashian, uh, maybe? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, no, we,
2: if we are talking to someone talented, like, that sings and dances and stuff. Um,
1: Be, can you say Beyonce? Beyonce. Is yeah, Beyonce.
2: Not- she just did some Tiffany shit.
1: Beyonce is
3: more talented than Marilyn Monroe, though. So that, well, of yes. course, we're not so saying. Not...
1: I'm just saying, like, but yeah, cultural yeah. impact, right? So, yeah. like, if Beyonce were to do something, yeah. and show some sort of symbol or signal of wealth, she's a spokesperson for Tiffany. Like, yeah, like yeah, Mariel they said, just yeah. did yeah. that.
2: So this was it's last year, last uh, winter. Tiffany was kind of falling out of favor with people, and and also was quietly loudly racist. So people were like, what can we do to get the people on our good graces? Ah, let's get the best black cultural icon, Beyonce and Jay-Z, to do a little diamond thing.
3: And even before that, I think they were uh, spokespeople for Cartier as well, which is like another like
1: diamond brand. Same thing, right? Love that. Uh, Speaking of Tiffany's, this was from the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's, 1961. So this is a little bit into the campaign. Isn't it
0: wonderful? You see what I mean? How nothing bad could ever happen to you in a place like this. Doesn't that? I give a hoot about jewelry except diamonds, of course.
1: Of course, it, of yeah, course. Another baby fist diamond. It's
0: insane. What do you think? Well, of course, personally, I think it'd be tacky to wear diamonds before I'm forty. Well, you're right. <laughs> oh. Okay. But in the meantime, you should have something. I'll wait.
1: So this is what's crazy is that this is all just happening in these movies progressively. it is you know time and time again we're just seeing more and more of these things
2: I like how they're throwing in all these little rules that I didn't know existed like I can't yeah. wear diamonds before 40. I'll wait
1: but that's how it that's how it kind of makes you feel like it's a um, that it's that it's um, a thing that you want right yeah. or a thing that you want to be doing.
3: Watching all this old stuff reminds me of when America was
1: great. Yeah,
2: I I agree. (laughs) We had so much representation in film. I'll tell you what.
1: Okay, so this is an ad from the 1950s. And it says, May your happiness last as long as your diamond. Ceaseless as the winging air, your engagement diamond shines in joy. In its deep pools of lovely light, The memory of little pleasures, the sound of a whispered word of love, the touch of a gentle hand,
0: the sight
1: of a tender smile will be treasured forever. Your diamond, though it may be modest in cost, should be chosen with care, for nothing else on earth can take its place.
2: Wow. Really romanticizing the diamond. I'm being fooled. I didn't want diamonds before this episode, and I'll tell you what, I want many now. Oh my god, yeah. I want this so is... I want multiple engagement rings. I want to be like J Lo or Mariah Carey.
3: It's also like romanticizing marriage. It's like yeah. yeah, may the diamond shine as long as he sits on the couch <laughs> as he gains weight <laughs> while watching the NFL on Fox <laughs> and drinking Bush Lights.
1: <laughs> well, this is like interesting you bring that up because this is before the, like the women's equality movement pretty much, right? This is like before the 60s when that started to pick up and and the, you know, women were trying to make the household a 50-50 kind of place, right? But this is still like – this is – the man is supposed to get you a fancy diamond to show his appreciation. But then on the other side, you're just – This is just the engagement – this is like the arrangement that you have, the 80-20, if you will, that the man uh, does 20 percent of the work for the House of the Women does 80 percent. But don't worry. That 80 percent, you get a diamond for that.
2: You get a diamond, and it lasts forever. Try to resell it, though. Good luck.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Here's a – here's another ad from the 1960s. It's called Promise of the Heart Told in a Diamond's Flame.
2: Oh, can I read it for you, Sina?
1: Yeah, please.
2: Oh, boy. Promise of the heart, told in a diamond's flame. Happily, she dreams upon the promise she has given. The dreams of her loved one and their new life to be. She is engaged, and on her finger, the engagement diamond tells the joys and hopes two hearts now share raw in earth for one man and one woman. This flaming gem will ever hold the memory of their promise, the message of their love. Your ringstone may be modest in size, but it should be chosen with care for it will be cherished always by you and all who follow.
1: And then it goes and shows the point system for diamonds, which is going back to the cut clarity and color situation. It tells you at the bottom. This is what I think is also pretty insidious about it is that not only are they fabricating this demand for diamonds and trying to get people to buy them, but they're also saying here's how we'll make it safe and thoughtful and, and educate you on how to buy a good diamond. When they've made up the game themselves, they did this themselves. They they created all of this shit so it says, how to buy a diamond first and most important, consult a trusted jeweler. <laughs> Already an oxymoron. Ask about color, clarity, and cutting for those determine a diamond's quality. Contribute to its beauty and value. Choose a fine stone and you'll always be proud of it, no matter what its size. Diamond sizes are measured by weight in points and carats, 100 points to the carat. Um so to guide you, price ranges above are based on quotations by jewelers throughout the country in April 1960. Note that prices vary widely according to the qualities offered and the quantity that De Beers is hoarding. Huh. Then at the bottom it says, "Diamond is forever."
2: Very ominous uh, font they used as well. Yeah, it's almost spooky. Yeah, it's, they used a, spooky a diamond font. is
1: forever.
2: Come
1: <laughs> buy yes. one. It's like
3: the Tales from the Crypt font. Yes, it is. It's
1: creepy. This next clip is from I Love Lucy. It's also about rings. And like I think what's funny here is that this ad agency called studios, called these executive producers, and were like, yeah, get some diamond stuff in here. Here's a couple thousand bucks. So smart. So smart. Girl boss. And they're always looking for shit, you know? Girl boss. Girl
2: boss. Gatekeep. Girl boss.
1: Very pro- Pro the girl boss. Pro the girl I, you know, boss. We can support her. We can support her.
0: <laughs> Awful good. How can I eat when my wedding ring is flying somewhere over Long Island Sound?
3: <laughs> I told you I'd buy a new one.
0: I don't want a new one. I want to save one. <laughs> I feel so terrible
3: about this. I'll tell you what. Look, I'll buy you a new one with. With big
0: diamonds all around it. I don't want one with big diamonds all around it. I want mine with a little diamonds halfway around it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Come, Come on, on, honey. Sweet, huh? Come on, here, <laughs> great. Oh, oh it tastes so good, Cousin.
1: She's so <laughs> shoving a sandwich in her mouth right now.
0: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. mm. Here comes good, great physical comedy. Here it comes. Mm. Boy. The diamond was in the sandwich. Ah!
0: Wow. Ah! What? <laughs>
1: she's so funny. She is. She
3: is to girl. this day. To this day, she's great. You know. Uh, you know. She gave Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, his like first uh, job on TV, and like he, uh, you know, he's from like all, like Austria. Like this is how early. He's like still very Austrian, and he like uh, he like walked on set and just like didn't know any of his lines, and <laughs> Lucille Ball just improvs him through the entire scene and like keeps the <gasps> yeah? scene.
2: Yeah, she like
3: she like walks him through it. She's like, you almost like, what did you come here to say to me? Yeah, or something. You know, it's like, it's like clearly like helping him. That's
2: amazing. I looked
3: that up. So, so he's always like, I have to thank Lucille Ball. She actually helped me. Lucille
2: Ball. She loves men with accents. What can we say?
1: Here's another old commercial that is just. It looks
0: incredible. Diamonds, diamonds, and more diamonds. Ethan Walnut has styles, styles, and more styles at prices you can afford. One you carat, can't afford them! $195 and a half carat, only a 195 Robbins Ethan Walnut will help you discover your diamond mm-hmm. personality. Get to know yourself at Robbins Ethan t- Walnut in Philadelphia. <laughs> some jewelers give lengthy explanations why some diamonds are more brilliant than others. This diamond proportion analyzer shows you how to select a properly cut diamond. It's only a part of Robin's 8th and Walnut's gem scan service. Gem scan? gem scan you see <laughs> makes one diamond worth Ooh. more than another, so you get the best diamond for your money. Gem scan assures you a properly cut diamond sparkling with icy white elegance. Gem scan. It's literally Whoa. a gem a scan. Yeah, it's
1: a gem scan. This is definitely from the 80s. So there's okay. so many of these, too. There's another, I want I want to show another one from the 80s um, that was a, a, a print ad that was geared towards men, but not Boo. men buying the diamonds, but women buying the diamonds. It says, oh, this no. is like a, a man and a woman in their PJs. They just had like a little afternoon delight. He's leaning into her. She's got Mm -hmm. her head above his, leaning on top of his head. And it says at the top, she has a mind of her own. She gave me a diamond.
2: (laughs) When do you think this is from? Like the 80s, 90s?
1: This is the 80s, yeah. The De Beers people tried to do it, uh, where they tried tried. to get women to, you know, they're like, women are empowered. Let's get them also to buy diamonds. (laughs) Last
2: year, she took me to a great little restaurant for my birthday on an island I never even heard of. (laughs) This year, she gave me something even more unexpected a diamond, a man's diamond. Yeah, that's right. She always gives me gifts I never expect, but a diamond that's a gift I'll never forget. Diamonds from a woman to a man,
3: forget about it. I like this. I like this. I'm I'm gonna tell my wife to drop to her knee in the middle of a restaurant. (laughs) Give me a diamond
2: now. Drop to your knee. That's incredible.
3: I don't think you know. Well, never mind. I'm just keep that opinion to myself. There's, there's there's all kinds of reasons why we can't ask women to give us a diamond. Like we're like we're very much then overestimating our utility in that mm. relationship. Yeah. Um, like like what do we actually?
2: What do you bring to the table, Justin? Yeah, especially like
3: now. I mean, in the '80s, it'd be like, okay, you bring like I guess money. But
2: I bought you a diamond with your money in yeah. the 80s, probably. Now,
3: now that now, like you could never run that ad now. It's just us like we can only try to flip it and make it woke. Like what if we buy each other diamonds as some kind of woke mm, co-equal? Mm. Like it's not a dowry thing, yeah. but we don't bring enough to the table in a in a, like a straight relationship to like make women buy us anything.
1: Yeah, no, no. I think what next time, you know, if my wife is pregnant again, I'm just going to be like, oh, man, what if you got me a diamond, honey, while you were sick during your first trimester? <laughs> I helped yeah. so much. Yeah,
2: I helped. I got you in this position. It's <laughs> a blessing.
1: You
3: know how the the hardest period of your life that you've ever went through, uh, that was like the most awesome three and a half minutes that I've ever had. And I don't have to deal with any of the consequences of it.
2: So buy me a diamond.
3: So buy me a diamond.
2: Or else.
3: Or else you can just replace me with something mechanical
2: that's <laughs> way better. And much cheaper, honestly.
3: Yeah, it's like cheaper, it's better, doesn't talk back. Incredible. Yeah.
1: So that is just like a taste of all the different ways that the Oppenheimers and this ad agency were able to manipulate not just the market, but culture. I think that is that is what blows my mind is that whenever we see because it's it's vulnerable people that we want to talk about on this show that that get taken advantage of financially, but there is a thing of when we're all vulnerable and we don't even know something has been told to us over and over again, so many times that we just believe it is true that we don't even know the origin of something. and diamonds are forever, and the, this two month salary thing is is incredible. That's how they did he it just is, is made phenomenal. Out? Yeah, it's just, just made up. Girl boss. It's Girl also boss. a
3: weird distribution of resources. It's one of those things. If I'm going to take two months' salary, I'm not going to buy a diamond in New York City. I will actually fly to South Africa for yeah. like, uh, and like, you know, rent a house and then go eat dinner and yes. walk 14 <laughs> you know, like, I would like rather
1: hours that. to a mine to go get your yeah. own diamond.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: maybe mine my own diamond.
2: <laughs> it's experiential. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Hey, did I? I you know, I'm kind of interested. White people uh, stopped wearing diamonds uh, when black people started, like uh, when we, like when rap in the 2000s. I wonder what that changed white people's relationship with diamonds. Did Ooh. white you know, people stop
1: wearing diamonds?
3: I don't, I don't know, because you know, we like, you know, anytime we start doing something, that means white people are like, all right, this is not,
2: yeah, it's not anymore. cool anymore.
3: Yeah, like Tommy think... Hill figure and
2: all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, I think that it just became like smaller. <laughs> So like the hip hoppers are doing the big necklaces and the jewel, the you know the dot everywhere the watches, and then yeah. it just became like smaller, tasteful, like the opposite of what the blacks are doing.
3: Yeah, Ooh. I think one black person wore Abercrombie, and that was the end of that brand. And that
2: was like, well, that
3: was it. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> no more orange and now pants for anybody. The mall. <laughs> <laughs> one black guy with abs, <laughs>
2: and
3: they're like, nope.
2: Can't do it. Yeah, Good question. Well, we should we should uh, check on
3: that. We'll write to, we'll write, <laughs> we'll we'll write to white people.
2: White. <laughs> Dear white people. Dear white
3: did people. Did you stop
2: wearing diamonds yeah. What's because blacks the the are doing it?
3: <laughs> <laughs> did, did that hurt your sale with you know, these rapper guys with these big chains and all this and stuff? Like, you
2: know? no, we actually Safe loved space. it. Safe
1: space. Please share. <laughs>
2: <laughs> In the 1930s, only about 10 percent of the engagement rings at the time were diamond engagement rings. But by the end of the 20th century, over 80% of people gave diamond engagement rings. Wow.
3: And the other 20% were dudes getting cubic zirconias hoping (laughs) they would never get looked at.
2: (laughs) Leave the cubies out of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just, if you think about the institution of marriage and how many people are actually married in the country and in the world, and then De Beers just was like, Oh yeah, we're gonna basically monetize marriage, and they did. We gotta, we gotta figure
3: out how to get our product into something like. Um, we should market to where you have to play fraudsters at every funeral.
2: Mm, yeah, that's pretty good. Like, have we'll you... figure out a way.
1: Why don't we make our own water?
2: Yeah, that's fraud work, water. But I think the funeral. I like the funeral thing.
1: Yeah, because like,
2: water is fraudulent in and of itself, like water bottles. So yeah, maybe. Let's do something with the funerals.
1: Everyone's got to die. Everyone's Everyone's got to die. die. That's big business. More people
3: will die than get married. So that's like, (laughs) we could even be bigger than...
2: You guys, that's the tagline. Everybody's got to die.
3: Did you play fraudsters at your uncle's wedding? Your uncle is not forever, but fraudsters is.
1: Put it on the Cecil foot!
2: (laughs) (laughs) In South Africa... Harry's star begins to shine brighter as he's elected to the South African Parliament, where he pushed anti-apartheid measures and helped create black trade unions. And as we enter the 1950s, the story is less about the ambitions of one man or even a family. The Oppenheimers certainly don't lose power, and no matter the Oppenheimer in charge, the push to consolidate and monopolize never abates. Gone are the days when if you wanted to screw someone over, you'd have to travel to their town and look them in the eye when you do it. Cecil Rhodes literally took up arms and ran into battle. Harry Oppenheimer took contracts and bribes and ran into Hollywood. Once they had the entire world fooled on the need for every woman to own a diamond, the top brass retreated to the boardrooms for the next phase of industry, a phase that relies heavily on funding civil wars and brokering deals with national governments and guerrilla fighters whoever is in charge of the land they need to plunder. By the mid-1950s, De Beers was in a war with USSR, and won, with fewer concessions than the US made at the end of the Cold War, I might add. The USSR possessed a large stockpile of diamonds and had recently discovered kimberlite pipes that they were already attempting to mine.
1: Hi kids, it's Cena again. Kimberlite is a big word and also a big rock formation. Kimberlite is an igneous rock that grows carrot-shaped in the ground. They're known as pipes, probably because the people who named them were smoking crack at the time. These Kimberlite pipes are the main host for diamonds, just like Mommy was your host and birthed you into this world. Kimberlite was named after the original diamond mining town, Kimberly. Once you find a Kimberlite pipe a De Beers-controlled mine is sure to follow.
2: De Beers didn't want any other entity with their own ability to affect the diamond trade, so an agreement was struck. The USSR would not enter the diamond trade independently, instead operating as a De Beers satellite. Besides, the cold weather in the country made mining more difficult than in Africa, and the Russians didn't have the expertise and equipment available to the De Beers cartel. De Beers could make anyone fall in line, Funded by the Rothschilds and J.P. Morgan, aided by former presidents and powerful Washington and Westminster insiders, and control over most of the kings and lawmakers in Southern Africa, you would be hard-pressed to find a more powerful global influence than De Beers. Let's take a look at how they spent the last half of the century at war. They pretty much take what they want using any deal possible, ripping resources at will. The only government that was able to gain interest was Botswana. They had the single richest diamond mine in the world and were able to secure a percentage. They create a company together called Debswana that is equally owned by De Beers and the Botswana government. Today, Botswana's stake is worth 7.5% of De Beers. Not bad.
1: Justin, is that a good deal for the good people of Botswana? It's better than
3: anyone else ever got. And then Botswana, like, uh, from independence uh, to, you know... A few years ago was actually the fastest growing economy in the world. It transforms oh. from like one of the poorest rural agrarian countries into like a middle income country.
1: And that was driven by the diamond. Profits? That, that's 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 a ton yeah, it's a ton of the
3: economy, right? Is the diamond wow. mines and then I think like cattle ranching is like another part mm. of it, but it's really the diamond
2: mines. Wow. Some highlights of global domination during this period. Yay. Yay! 1987, in an exploration funded by De Beers, geologists discovered kimberlite in northern Ontario and the Northwest Territories of Canada. Score! In 1990, De Beers' group is split into two parts, the pre-existing De Beers Consolidated Limited and the new De Beers Centenary AG. The two share identical boards of directors and their stock is traded as a linked unit. De Beers Consolidated has a 9.5% interest in centenary Nothing shady here. 1991, De Beers teamed with General Electric, ran a scheme to raise prices of saw, drilling, and tooling diamonds by providing advanced detail to each other about their price lists and pricing details. No other customers or distributors received the advanced detailing information on pricing. They were indicted by a grand jury, but won the case. Wow!
1: Crazy. (laughs) By the way, indicted by a grand—that's criminal charges, okay? And then won the still won the case. This is insane to me that it just time and time again. The fact that diamonds are ubiquitous everywhere gives them license to just influence General Electric, the biggest company in the world at that time, 1991. General Electric—they're huge. They're like Facebook today. Yeah,
3: it's like yeah, just one of their like. One of their, like, parts of their business is just, like, NBC. General Electric's so big that NBC is just, like, a little part of what they do. Yeah.
2: Incredible. 1992. With De Beers' help, as well as Paul Manafort and Roger Stone, a guerrilla warfare group named UNITA, the National Union for the Total Independence of Angola, took over parts of Angola. In what was probably a total coincidence, a number of Kimberlite pipes had been discovered in Angola, because of the Civil War, however, diamond trading with Angola became illegal, and the vast number of diamonds excavated from those mines were unlawful as well.
3: Okay, so just a quick uh, like summary of a super complicated thing that's taking place differently, but somewhat the same over a bunch of different countries. So by the time you're getting to the 1990s, uh, the economies of a lot of African countries are on the verge of collapse. And there's all kinds of separatist movements that are happening. Uh, because a lot of African countries, you know, they're, they have arbitrary colonial borders. It's all kinds of groups of people that have different languages, cultures, and traditions, and political philosophies, and they didn't necessarily want to share a country with each other. So a lot of people are trying to break off from these artificially made countries. Outside powers such as the United States and the Soviet Union or China or even South Africa, are funding some of these groups, depending on if they're identifying themselves as communist or capitalist, right? So this leads to all kinds of civil wars across Africa. And the ways that a lot of rebel groups fund their civil wars is if they have minerals in their territory, they sell the minerals to whoever they're partnering with to get equipment for the war. Jesus. So a lot of acronyms pop up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, during this period. Yeah, everybody who you want to break off from, you know, whatever country, if you're in a resource region, you, you launch an acronym, declare your support for either communism, capitalism, or democracy or dictatorship or whatever. And, and you, you have a go at it.
2: 1994, Human Rights Watch, Angola Report was published and reported that the De Beers diamond cartel and other international dealers are buying gems mined in rebel-held territory in violation of Angolan law. Most of the diamonds are smuggled across Zaire's southern border, and to a lesser extent, the Zambian border. De Beers admits to spending $500 million to buy legally and illegally mined diamonds from Angola. This year, De Beers begins negotiations with the newly independent Republic of Namibia to form Namdeb, a joint venture partnership to mine the country's diamonds.
3: That's a pretty like stunning revelation, where they're admitting to spending huge sums of money to fuel civil wars that, like prolonged civil wars that lead to like huge amounts of human suffering. Uh, especially when you consider in Angola, the MPLA eventually wins the civil war and is still. The government of the country. I mean, you need to still exist as like a minority party, but it just means the civil war would have probably ended faster if outside parties wouldn't have kept like sending all this money and resources into it and encouraging it.
1: Right. Because I guess they like when you're that big, a civil war is nothing but a problem for a few months for you and you're still buying the diamonds from wherever. It's just like, oh man, I got to really have to deal with this this week. It just seems like their scale is so big that they can even still admit that $500 was bought illegally. Um,
3: and, You said 500 million, right?
1: Sorry, $500 million was bought of diamonds were bought illegally and it's still just fine. They can still just keep moving. This is, again, fraudsters can just get away with these things and we're all just totally okay with it.
2: In 1998, Nikki Oppenheimer finally becomes chairman of De Beers.
1: Yay. Yay. Oh, Go, you know Nikki.
2: Honestly, work. hard work pays off. That's right. right. Work, Nikki Oppenheimer. <laughs> you better work.
0: Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work.
2: Global Witness, a company that investigates corporations for environmental destruction, publishes a report called *A Rough Trade*. The report exposed De Beers for purchasing blood diamonds. Blood diamonds, also known as conflict diamonds was later defined by the United Nation as diamonds that originate from areas controlled by forces or factions opposed to legitimate and internationally recognized governments and are used to fund military action in opposition to those governments. An estimated 10 to 15 percent of diamonds on the market are said to be blood diamonds.
1: So what's crazy about this is that even the United Nations definition of conflict diamonds is not inclusive enough because governments were in on it. So when governments are doing it, it's allowed. This is really talking about rebel groups that are opposing recognized governments. But what happens when the governments are in bed with De Beers in the first place? And so that ended up being another problem on top of that.
3: Yeah. I mean, especially when you have certain governments where people have come to power through military coups or things like that. (laughs) Some of these people are just criminals that just happen to have (laughs) captured like the, you know just captured the state house and yeah it's it's like like, well i'm legitimate like charles taylor in liberia like there's nothing legitimate about this person other than he's like i live in the president's mansion because i got enough guys with guns to take it over
1: and the united nations is like you know what we wrote this letter we're gonna we're gonna stick to it we're gonna stick to it
3: it. well he's the head of state and it's like what are we gonna do But it also explains why you had so many military coups and rebel groups, right? Because once the international business community established this thing of, well, you can do whatever you want as long as it's with the head of state, well, then you've made capturing like government power the ultimate path to wealth in places that don't have a private sector. So this is how you get guys like Mobutu becoming a, a billionaire when he's president of Congo and you know all of this stuff, right? They've incentivized like chaos in Africa with this kind of stuff.
2: The beers also funded the civil war in Sierra Leone, which saw 75,000 people die. The war was funded by wealth from diamonds in the east of the country, also where the Revolutionary United Front, the guerrilla group, was the strongest. The World Diamond Congress in Antwerp adopted a resolution to increase the international diamond industry's ability to block conflict diamonds from reaching the market. Nikki Oppenheimer responded to the conflict diamond claims saying... When you look at the volume of conflict diamonds, which is less than, like, 4% of the world production compared to, like, the 96% plus (laughs) that comes from the good areas, it's, like, obvious in all of our interests to drive this 4% away. Why should any of us put our business at risk for peanuts like this? Like, that's crazy.
1: What a nice guy.
2: Less than a month later, Harry Oppenheimer dies at the age of 91.
1: Uh. I like
3: I like it when someone asks a dumb like question and tries to frame it. It's like, why would anyone engage in a insanely lucrative black market that's like <laughs> not properly regulated? It's crazy. It's crazy.
1: We would love more regulation. We don't want these these on, conflict we lo- wars to have. We be want happening. nothing to do with that. Come on. Go.
3: Why would why would we want to sell diamonds that don't come from actual labor practices, you know, with like salaries and unions and things like that, but instead come from child soldier slaves? Yeah. Uh, and all we have to do is send a box of AK-47s in exchange for an entire country's minimal wealth. Well, that's crazy. Why
1: yeah. would anybody? Sounds like a good deal.
2: In 2001, Nikki Oppenheimer spends over $17 billion to take the company private. As a result of this move, De Beers is now split this way. The Oppenheimer family owns 45%. Anglo-American, which the Oppenheimers control, owns 40%. And the Botswana, which is controlled by the Oppenheimers and the Botswanan government, controlled the remaining 15% of De Beers.
1: Wait a minute. That's 100%.
0: Yeah?
1: <laughs> this is, this, this is
2: just...
3: <laughs> well, Justin Williams controls... 20% of fraudsters, but then Justin Williams Enterprises controls another 20% of fraudsters. <laughs> then 25% of mm-hmm. fraudsters is controlled by Justin Williams LLC. Mm. Then oh, another
0: 35,
3: Thir- 35%. <laughs> Is controlled by Justin underscore Williams underscore <laughs> comedy at Instagram. Oh, so as you can see, we have uh, democratic practices here. At- <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> also in 2001, the company launches De Beers Jewelers, controlling yet another aspect of the diamond industry. 2012, Nikki steps down as chairman of De Beers. Nikki Oppenheimer is currently the third richest person in Africa with a net worth of 8.6 billion dollars, according to Forbes magazine. Oh, and remember how in the last episode, when three men in the De Beer family were shot and killed and I said we wouldn't be hearing from them ever again? Well, that's not true anymore. The family has never stopped trying to get back a piece of what they've owned. Current De Beers mining owners have ignored and threatened them. And in one instance, a De Beers family member was hit with a hail of bullets while leaving the courtroom. Luckily, no one stabbed him in his hospital bed. And that is what I call progress.
1: Incredible. Incredible. Uh, well, folks, that, that's going to wrap up just uh, part two, but we will have a part three on our Diamond series here next week. Where we'll have author Asia Raiden of the book Stoned Jewelry Obsession and How Desire Shapes the World. She's an incredible person, and we're going to talk to her about the history of diamonds and a lot about these different reasons why we're so into them. So thanks, everyone, for listening to Fraudsters. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Check out the show notes for the show's social media links so you can follow us and see the resources we use for this episode. Fraudsters is hosted by me, Sina Gaznavi, Justin Williams, and Ariel Lieti. Producer is Jordan Acconcia. Production coordinator is Noreen Malik. Editor is Ryan Connor. Our writer is Nick Turner. Our researchers were Demetrius Patelis and Emily Fusco. Music by Grant Gordon. Executive producer is me, Sina Gasnavi, and this has been a production of Zero Cool and The Last Podcast Network.